we do every single Saturday on these airwaves. My name is Casey Steve, the voice of your valley. Hummer says News Talk Station, 107.3 FM, 1480 AM, KYOS. Come on! As Humor said, Atwater. Grand. Hopeton. Snelling. All of those little communities. Yeah, it was so much fun. I was at the uh, Atwater Christmas Parade last night, and the Snelling 4-H came by. They said, a little community with lots of fun. And I thought, you know, they're right. It is. Never been over there. You need to take a, take a ride over to Bud's place. Have a, uh, a libation. May I suggest the Bloody Mary? Hey, here we are Saturday morning. Uh, so many things going on. Uh, the bonus half hour. Yes, it's a new show. Can you believe it? Had a little extra time here after the holiday, and we appreciate everybody putting up with our best ofs, our repeats uh, over the Thanksgiving break. Of course, we had Sheriff Vern Warnke in his second year, and uh, current DA at the time, Larry Morse, uh, in a best of show from 2016. Man, that was a walk down memory lane. Brought back a lot of emotion for me. Larry was one of a kind. One of a kind. There was one snippet I was listening to, and he goes, you know, when you're got a domestic violence beat, a woman, a, a victim, a woman that's had the, the beaten senseless by her boyfriend. I was just, I tell you, he didn't, he didn't hold back. He really uh, told it like it was. Really, Miss Larry. Well, here we are in the bonus half hour, and we were talking last uh, the eight o'clock hour about the election. It's uh, it's heating up out there. Anissa Fergoso throwing her uh, hat in the ring against Josh Pedrozo for supervisorial district two. This, of course, is the majority of downtown Merced, basically north of Sixteenth Street, Main Street. All the way up to, uh, he's not looking for a certain thing, I just can't find it. All the way up to uh, the lake and the UC Merced, that sort of thing. So uh, again, looks like every district has at least one challenger. Of course, in district, uh, what Rodrigo's, uh, Rodrigo Espinosa's district, uh, I believe that's district five. Uh, we have Jimmy Pacheco, the former Sheriff's deputy worked at uh, the DA's office in Mariposa. I know he's done a lot of other things. I'm forgetting. Uh, he's going up against uh, Rodrigo Espinoza in his, uh, believe, going for his third term. I believe he's in his uh, his second uh, term now. And then, of course, uh, Lloyd Pereira, Jr. Excuse me, I didn't know they're using Jr. a lot now. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Junior, or excuse me, Lloyd is uh, going up against, I heard four people. I can't believe it. River Valley, what happened? When the, the Deidre Kelsey regime is over there, huh? And uh, So anyway, uh, people standing up wanting to uh, represent River Valley, which is a big area, big, big district. Uh, so is District 5. Uh, district 2, Josh Pedroza's district, fairly easy, uh, small district to... Uh, to handle, you would think, but again, the problems uh, in District 2 are uh, really well. They're magnified even more so than the rest of the county because it's so obvious what the problems are. And Anissa Fergoso, who's the uh, head of the Hispanic, president of the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, uh, 
also, you may uh, know that name associated with the Mercado event, a very successful uh, free enterprise capitalistic event. It'd be nice to bring some of that insight to the Board of Supervisors, somebody that's ran a business that understands the complexities, the regulations, the difficulties, as opposed to a lifetime bureaucrat who's fed at the trough and never had a private uh, lick of work experience in his life. But again, that's just some of the differences. Uh, We were talking also about Jesse Ornalis, Merced City Councilman Jesse Ornalis, uh, is looking forward to spending some time with his family, and that's because uh, he's not going to be running uh, for the city council, uh, there will be, I read from an article, uh, authored by Jonathan Whitaker, one of our favorite Johns over there at the Merced County time. You've got Whitaker and of course the, the head guy, uh, Derby, uh, just celebrated what 90 years, a publication, maybe it was 60. I forget. Anyway, uh, Jesse Ornalis, who represents district one, uh, says there will be, well, the article, there will be four city council seat, including the mayors on the ballot. Now, <laughs> let's do some MCOE math here. That's seven toto because there's six council districts and one mayor. So that's seven. And if, if this is right, that means four plus one. That's five. That's big time. I think you're into super majority uh, territory. So there will be four city council seats and the mayor on the ballot in November of 2024. And you say, Casey. The election is in March of 2024, you dummy. It's like, no, no, no. Uh, city council, they don't have a primary. They just they just go for it in November. And before we had districts, it was just, hey, the top, uh, however many we needed. So just pretend, let's just pretend for a minute. We go back a few years before we were sued and we rolled over like a, a tame little puppy uh, when we, we had at-large elections for the whole city. And everybody came out, and uh, they represented, well, the whole city. Uh, it would be the top five. Well, the mayor would be separate, obviously. But the city council, you'd just throw everybody in a hat, and the top four would get it. But not now. Uh, it's all it's all district. Again, we were just going down memory lane. Uh, Ornalis says, I'm announcing it early so that if people are interested, and I'm sure they will be, they can start getting papers together, plan fundraising, I wanted to give people in my community an opportunity to prepare. And there's already one candidate vying for the District 1 seat that Ornalis holds. Uh, He's been on social media. I've met him. He's a young local attorney named Darren DuPont. I have no idea. I'm talking to me now. I have no idea uh, what his persuasion is, whether he's conservative, uh, law and order, whether he's... uh, I don't know what. I don't know what. But we do... I know a lot about Jesse uh, from being on the council these last three years. And, of course, the lack of support for public safety has been somewhat uh, disappointing, I would say, especially among our police and fire unions. But uh, there's one thing here that uh, I wanted to read. It was kind of, uh, and I've talked about it, it's the, uh, the uh, Pledge of Allegiance at the start of the meeting. And uh, John asked him about this. Uh, John Whitaker, the author of this article, he says, Ornalis has never seemed afraid to speak up to fellow leaders on the council and in the community when he disagrees with something or just simply be himself despite customary norms. He's drawn some quiet ire in certain signals, uh, circles for appearing like he doesn't participate in the Pledge of Allegiance at the start 
of every regular meeting. And I don't know where the quiet ire is. I've verbally talked about it on this show. He said he's only been asked once about it, though, and that was by the Times. His reply, I'm not doing it out of protest or any political stance or any kind of political drama. And I don't want to get in the way of people who do value that moment. I also have family members who have served in the military. So I always stand, but I think the flag salute is disrespectful to my ancestors who were victims of genocide as a result of American colonization because of the blood that pumps through my body for me to pledge allegiance to the flag that the murderers of my ancestors waved is disrespectful. Ornalis feels he's come a long way from being a quote-unquote juvie kid from a poor rural area and an incarcerated adult himself. He goes, this January, it will be 15 years since I have put, I have put any mind-altering substance in my body. I have been drug and alcohol-free. In the same time period, he has earned a university degree and won a top city election. He said he has grown in his time on the council. And I have seen that. He has learned, uh, he has learned some things. And some of his insights are, well, insightful. But I think that uh, the reason for not uh, saying the pledge is, well, kind of belays the first part of his statement when he says, I'm not doing anything out of a political stance to say America was uh, colonizers. Well, I don't know. That's, uh, well, you see a lot of that now in the, uh, in the world view, the world news, certain countries being called that. And again, I, I go back to Fu Zhang, fellow council member in his diatribe about the Palestinian uh, ordeal when it first started. So uh, he goes on in the article, as for after the 2024 election, he still wants to continue to be an ambassador for Merced. He, almost, he also promises to be an ally to whoever does get elected to the District 1 seat, no matter where they fall on the political spectrum, and especially in some of the communities that may that they may not have access to. So again, uh, somewhat big news. I don't know if it's shocking news. Uh, I'm sure there were going to be challengers uh, to his position. Now, as you know, uh, four positions available and the mayor, uh, Matt Serrato, who again, I, I kind of look at as a lame duck, even though he has another term available to him. I think the record uh, speaks volumes. And whether or not he's been able to garner enough support where he won't have a challenger is yet to be seen. Again, some of the uh, early folks are coming out. Again, Ornalis uh, District being challenged. So far by just one person, I'm sure there will be others jumping in. Bertha Perez, her seat is coming up. There was uh, talk in the community she might try for the mayoral ring. Uh, I don't know. I think she uh, may be just concerned about getting reelected at this point. I do not see her being a one-term candidate. I do not see her announcing uh, any kind of resignation. Also, we have Sarah Boyle, who is coming up on her uh, end of her first term. And after seeing what happened to Delray Shelton in a neighboring district who I thought was a shoe-in, I thought there was absolutely no way uh, that the dark horse candidate Fu Zhang would have any kind of traction in the community, and he handily won that seat. Uh, so I don't know, Sarah, I think being the incumbent, has a position of strength. I think that uh, the business community, which she's a part of, and hopefully the university community, which she's now a part of, will embrace her candidacy. But again, there are forces out there uh, 
that have an agenda that's uh, what's well, not published every week, like uh, this week's council agenda for the fourth. It's a, it's an agenda, uh, but you have to be in on it. Wink, wink. So that's the three open council seats. And again, the mayoral seat for a total of four seats up for election. Not a super majority, but again, close enough, especially when you look at some of the other voices that are on the council. I know that Sarah's uh, position, she's been fairly quiet. When she does speak, she makes some uh, very salient points, a very uh, thoughtful consideration. So I'm hoping that uh, that'll get her over the hump. And I think this time she might have some uh, competition, but it should be uh, should be the folks of that district uh, go ahead and support her. So again, the elections shaping up. Of course, we talked uh, the last hour about Adam Gray and John Duarte, the congressional seat coming up uh, again. Uh, Sarah, excuse me. Oh my gosh, um, Esmeralda Soria. Excuse me, that's Sarah Boyle on the mind. Too many S's. Esmeralda Soria also has a challenger in uh, Bethello. If you remember that name, she ran against um, Jim Costa way back when for the congressional seat, now going for the state assembly seat, the old seat held by Adam Gray, actually uh, part of the district. They redrew all the lines, gave it new numbers. So Esmeralda Soria having a competitor, trying to think of some of the other races. I haven't heard anything about Atwater, uh, any of the council races in any of the other cities i know that mayor nelson uh he has four years he's only in will be in his second year i, I think atwater is pretty calm over there now with new leadership at the dais and then of course uh some of the other communities again it's just too early but uh, the the national scene really heating up we saw the big debate uh, this week between uh, our governor and the governor of florida uh, really kind of hard to follow. They talk over each other so much. It's kind of difficult, but uh, I, I think there was some stark differences. And again, uh, political parties really do matter in these elections, even these quote-unquote nonpartisan elections. You see the school board, uh, total disarray here in the city of Merced. I saw they made an announcement not too long ago where they've hired a consulting firm. Again, uh, how long have they been without leadership? The students are suffering. The test scores, uh, COVID was an absolute disaster, and it hasn't uh, gotten any better. The fights, the violence, a lot of the things you don't hear about in the press uh, but are out there in the community, the parents know. And let me tell you who really knows and where I get a lot of information is uh, the young people because they're not afraid to talk about it and really uh, tell you how it is. And uh, it's eye-opening. You know, I have a couple of subjects to cover because it is the bonus half hour, so I'm just going to run through the notes. I was uh, taken aback watching uh, Fresno News a few weeks ago. This is an old statistic, but uh, still relevant. Uh, homeless fires in the city of Fresno, uh, they've had a total of 6,000 fires last year, which is just an incredible amount. I know, I know Fresno's big, and there's 365 days in a year, except leap year. But uh, that's just amazing, 6,000 fires a day. And it seems like you could be able to divide that. What would that be? That'd be 200 fires a day, 200 times three. Anyway, it's a lot of fires. 2,500 of them, 40% uh, caused by homeless, the unhoused. And uh, that's just an incredible drain on resources. Uh, the blight to property when these buildings, over 200 buildings 
affected by these fires, some pretty big warehouses, uh, single-structure homes, uh, single-family homes. You've seen them, the abandoned building that eventually goes up in flames. And uh, again, this brings uh, blight to the neighborhood, lack of tax base, all kinds of things. And and the number was just eye-opening. And when we have public safety coming and with their handout for resources, well, this is why the call for services is just incredible. And to have 40% of the fires caused by a population that really uh, should be housed in some other place, I think just goes to show you the true cost of homelessness. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Homelessness is an industry in this county. There is millions and millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars that flow to efforts that in a lot of cases, are futile. The futility is just palatable. It's, it's, just, it's just terrible. And so to see this kind of uh, strain on our public safety officials is uh, very, very difficult. Something that could be, again, with the will of our elected officials, with getting back to basics. You know, something I didn't talk about when we were talking about the sheriff's uh, concerns and calls for action from the board in the 8 o'clock hour is the district attorney. Nicole Silvera is suffering the same problems with a lack of resources, a lack of personnel to prosecute these cases. I've said it before, it's law and order. You have the sheriff, the public uh, emergency, uh, public safety agencies going out, making the arrest, catching them, and then it goes to the adjudication process, the judicial process, and that's where the district attorney steps in. And no matter whether you're in a city or the county, uh, the, uh, or an unincorporated area of the county, the county is responsible for that. And they need to dedicate the resources so that when crimes are committed here in the city, one, they're prosecuted, and two, they have the resources to continue that prosecution in a timely manner instead of just dismissing cases and only going for the most serious cases. It's, it's terrible. We have to get public safety the priority it deserves, and we'll have the quality of life that we want. It's a simple equation, my friends. I wish we could have it all. I wish we could buy a house for everybody. Some of the voices on the council, your requests are are just so far-fetched for the money we have. And they don't realize the reality in which we live in, the fiscal constraints. I know when you get on the council, your eyes are opened. There's a frustration level. But we didn't, we don't need to go through this every four years or every two years. And again, the public employee unions... They have really got a grip, a death grip, on what the, the electeds can do because they're afraid. And it's to the detriment of ourselves, to the citizens, to the people that need these services. I've talked about this love triangle. You have the citizens, you have the unions, and you have the electeds. And two people get hurt. And usually, it's the, uh, usually the citizens are one of, those, one of those people. And we see it now. We have the sheriff begging for resources from the Board of Supervisors, and we hear nothing but crickets. Even the union won't get up and defend their own personnel and the attrition that goes on because they don't want to offend the other unions. We've got to get over that. We've got to get over that. Measure C is coming up. That will be on the March ballot, and that is a city issue, and it's probably more important than the city council races, because if we don't get Measure C over the hump in March, well, I don't know if it'll stand a chance again. There's a lot of folks that are attacking Measure C, and it's very, very difficult. 
when we talk about the homeless and fires, I don't know if uh, folks have uh, been along the creek, Bear Creek, it's absolutely terrible. Now that the water isn't flowing, you can really see what's down there in the right-of-way. And all I can say is I hope that, uh, I I guess when Adam left, uh, Adam Gray, uh, former assemblyman Adam Gray, uh, he had $6 million allotted for the creek. Where is it? Nobody seems to find it. Nobody knows where it is. They don't know what account it's in. We're waiting for a check, a big cardboard check. I don't know. Where is it? Where is the money? Because the creek is terrible. I hope the flood doesn't come anytime soon. The bridges are all fouled up with debris. There's shopping carts. There's all kinds of stuff. Homeless camps are, well, last week it seems like they did some abatement, but we all know how that goes. We only have to read from Jeremiah Gregan's in the Merced County Times from November 9th. Now, Jeremiah, he's one of the founding members of the Bear Creek Yacht Club. They're the ones that go out there. They have the hot dogs. They have Sometimes they have lobster, fish, pescado. It's amazing some of the barbecues they have out there. But uh, only after a couple of years, he's finally seen the light. I don't know if they made him walk the plank over there at the last meeting. But uh, he told the Times, we've cleaned up years of neglect on the creek, but it keeps coming back. It's a continuous amount of trash. It's like we are spinning our wheels and not gaining any ground. And that's Jeremiah Gregans from the Bear Creek Yacht Club telling it like it is. And we try to do that here on every every Saturday, when we can, when we're not on vacation, when we're not taking some time off, when it's not Thanksgiving or Christmas. But it does go quickly. And it's uh, almost out of time now for the bonus half hour of Citizen Watch. We couldn't do this show without you. You know, when we get to the end of the year like this, it's amazing how fast the time goes between us. I was with, uh, I'm a CASA, as you know, a CASA advocate, or maybe you don't know, and now you do, a court-appointed special advocate. And my charge at this point, we were out uh, getting some uh, glasses fixed for him, and he goes, I'm amazed how quick this year has gone. And I said, well, they only go quicker the older you get. He's very, very young. And I said, time just marches on, and you have to prepare now for the future. But we only have so much time, and we only have so much time together, just like this show, and just like life. And that's why we have to take time out and have the fellowship with each other. And this time of year reminds us of that, reminds us of the holidays, reminds us of the good times, and the not-so-good times. The people, that have, the people we've lost, the people we miss, and the people we can still be with. And I would encourage everybody to make those connections. Try to get with the people that mean the most to you at this time of year. As you guys, well, you mean a lot to me. I couldn't do this show without you. I appreciate you that come up to me out in the community. Even the ones that don't like the show too much. You can always come up and talk. And We try to be uh, inclusive. If you ever want to get a hold of me. You can drop me a line at casey.steed at smgnational.com, C-A-S-E-Y dot S-T-E-E-D at smgnational.com. You can also just send PSA at smgnational.com. If you're a nonprofit and you got something going on, you want us to get it out there, we will do that for you. But as you can hear by the music, we're at the end of this segment, the bonus half hour of Citizen Watch. We'll see you next week. On these airwaves, my name's Casey Steed, the voice of your valley on Merced's News Talk Station, 107.3 FM, 
1480 AM KYOS. Hopefully we'll see you at the parade. I got to rest up the voice for a couple of hours and we'll be, well, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. And I sang with all my might She said, tell me are you a Christian child? And I said,